0: Community Voice Podcast, episode number 35.
1: Entertaining, educational, and encouraging content that makes a difference.
0: This is
1: GSPN.TV. Join
0: the community. Welcome back to another episode of the Community Voice. Today, I'm going to be sharing with you a conversation with John Sanders. Now, I just finished having this conversation, so I already know what you're about ready to hear. Anyway, just a little background. John first discovered Podcast Answer Man, my old Podcast Answer Man podcast, about 11 years ago. He started podcasting with a show called Small Town Big Church, and he's had some great experiences in producing content that has had a powerful, profound, and positive impact in the lives of pastors in rural towns, smaller community churches, and big things happening there, and he's got a powerful message for that. Of course, he's also done some other things in podcasting over the years. He's had lots of experience in ministry, but also in the fire surface. You're going to hear a little bit about some of those things here in this conversation. I'm super delighted to tell you that I've had the honor of doing life with John Sanders on a weekly basis through the Next Level Mastermind Group for the past two years. I happen to know that other members of the Next Level Mastermind Group are going to be eager to hear some of the insights about John's past that they may not have known about. I learned a couple extra things about John through this conversation, and uh, it was a lot of fun. So without any further ado, here's my conversation with another incredibly awesome true fan in my own community, John Sanders. All right, John, welcome to the Community Voice. I heard you share in Voxer recently talking about your passion for helping pastors find a much brighter path to transitioning out of
1: ministry, if that's what they choose to do. Yep. Tell me more. Well, Cliff, I grew up in the ministry, you know, I'm going to use air quotes when I say ministry, because in my world growing up, that meant you get paid to either be a pastor or a missionary. No one else was in ministry. Um, I don't believe that anymore. We didn't say that out loud, by the way, but it was just kind of subtly accepted that if you're in ministry, you're a professional Christian, you're a pastor or a missionary, but I've obviously come to recognize there is no divide between the sacred and secular realms and everything is ministry. Um, So when I say ministry, I'm I'm referring though to pastoral ministry. I grew up in and around that. My dad was a pastor, had a good experience with it. Um, I sensed a strong calling in my life early on to go into pastoral ministry. I really resisted that because I had other plans that I thought would be fun. And so I became a firefighter uh, at the age of 21. Well, really I started sooner than that on a volunteer department, but at the age of 21, I got hired on a uh, the Peoria Fire Department in Peoria, Illinois. And yet the whole time I still was kind of wrestling with that calling toward ministry and finally surrendered to that. And, you know, long story short, my wife and I, after four years of working as a firefighter, we moved out to a little town in South Dakota. There's a long story of how we ended up out here, but we, we became church planters. We planted a church and it was a great run, but here's where I'm at today, Cliff. I've I've been in and around pastoral ministry my entire life and what I've come to realize is that this model that we call church is broken. And if you were to say John what evidence do you point to 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 back up that claim here's one very simple statistic. We are losing 1500 to 1700 pastors per month that are walking away from pastoral ministry. Now that may not be a bad thing in and of itself but here's the thing Cliff most of the time, they're not healthy when they walk away. There is not a healthy pathway in place. There's not a model where we celebrate a pastor quitting ministry and doing something else with his or her life. Like, we don't celebrate that. It's negative. And the majority of pastors who quit ministry, the majority of that 1,500 to 1,700 pastors a month, they're walking away from it, beat down, discouraged, defeated feeling like failures, struggling with severe mental health, physical health, um, you know, in many cases, feeling like they've disappointed God and let people down and the whole thing's broken. And uh, I'm here to tell pastors, my message that I'm really serving pastors with is, oh man, ministry can look like a lot of different things in a lot of different seasons. And what if there was a healthier way to be a pastor and to fulfill your God-given calling than in this thing that we've built called the church. And I'm not against the church. I want to be clear on that. I'm not anti-church. I just think we've been doing it in a really jacked up way for a long time. And pastors are paying a heavy toll for that. So in a nutshell, that's kind of the journey I'm on and the the community I'm trying to serve.
0: I love that. I resonate with it. Uh, I think you know a lot about my journey, at least a, a, a good portion of it anyway. But I was an associate pastor, and I thought I'd be my, my greatest ambition and calling in life was to be full-time ministry. Of course, that right. meant being head pastor of my own church one day. That yep. when my mom and dad asked me if I wanted to come work for the family business to help them set up their computer systems, I said two conditions. Number one, do not expect me to go get my insurance license because I have no desire to sell insurance and take over this insurance agency. And number two, if I'm ever offered the opportunity to become a head pastor of my own church, no matter how, and and here's the caveat, no matter how poverty-stricken I may be, I, I didn't say that, no matter how much less money I'd be making doing that than what you guys would be paying me, I have to have your full blessing to leave and go do that. If that doesn't tell you about even more about it. it's like listen i i anticipate going into the ministry full-time being paid by the church pouring everything i have into that work and understanding it'll be at a poverty level
1: can i ask you cliff just if you can go back in to in that in your mind to that place in your life like what was the mental framework around that why did the thought not even cross your mind that i could do both like i could I could find a way to be involved in church ministry, but still have a profitable insurance uh, income coming in. Like if, if you can remember back then, like why why wasn't yeah. that even part of your thought process?
0: The reason why is because I only wanted to do things with my time, effort, and energy that were in complete alignment with what I felt called to do, which is to serve others in relationships.
1: Yeah. And that can't happen in an insurance office, right?
0: Exactly. Absolutely not. Hands down. Of course, uh, my story went on that you know my mom and dad agreed to those two things. I en- ended up ultimately becoming an overpaid file clerk. And I was doing all these quotes for insurance and uh, they were getting paid for it. And they said, you know, we could pay you commission on these things if you went and got your license. Not that you have to. Well, I went and got my license income started to increase. And not only that, but I started actually doing exactly that. I was using my time, effort and energy to have conversations with people in my community, oftentimes having deeper conversations with them than sometimes I was able to have with members of the church at the local congregational gathering, I should say. And um, you know, I'm sitting there talking to somebody after their house has just burned down or I'm talking to somebody whose daughter was just killed in a car accident. I mean, hmm. I'm literally speaking to people in uh, in many cases at some of their most stressful moments in life where sure. they need a, an encouraging voice. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm doing great ministry here. Not only that, but I was also, enter, I was educating people on things like life insurance and becoming debt-free. I had become a huge fan of Dave Ramsey's Total Money Makeover system. My wife and I had become debt-free. And I was trying to convince people, say, listen, as long as you're in debt and you've got a wife and young kids and your wife's a stay at home mom, what happens to you if you die? And I'll say, ah, you know, let's not think about that. I said, no, for just a few moments, let's think about that. Mm-hmm. Do you have money to put away to put your kids to college? No. Do you have money to pay off the mortgage? No. Do you have money to pay off these cars that you guys have? No. How much debt are you in? Eh, about 80,000. Huh. What happens mm. if you die? Your wife works, what, two, three jobs just to put your kids through school and stuff like that? Maybe she keeps the house, maybe not. You know, whereas, it's like, but Cliff, I can't afford life insurance. It's like, well, uh, let's just put it this way. You've got three kids. Let's just say you need $150,000. $150,000 in life insurance would pay off your mortgage, pay off these cars, and put all three of your kids through college. Would you agree that that's... That's doable. 150,000? Yeah, but Cliff, I can't afford life insurance. Okay, how old are you? I'm 32 years old. All right. And it looks like you're pretty healthy here, right? Yep, yep, yep. How much is that How much do you think that'll be? Oh, gosh, I have no idea. I said, "Well, it's about $18 a month for the next 30 years." Nope. Oh. What? How is it that I don't have life insurance? That's exactly what I'm wondering, buddy. Right now, John, I will tell you I had a handful of those. Uh, well, actually, I was selling about thirty of those policies a month. But anyway, I was very successful as an insurance agent, and unfortunately, uh, or fortunately, depending on how you want to to view the whole situation, I I was in insurance for more than a decade, twelve years of my life working in the family run agency, and I actually delivered uh 150,000 1.5 million dollar life insurance payouts wow. to a spouse of a of of someone that I sold that policy to that died wow. that they would not have had that check in hand had I not convinced that person to make that step and yeah. I and it was it was through that John that that was the that was the clicking point for me It 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 only took a couple of those experiences for me to realize, okay, this is a deeper connection and is in more in alignment with what I feel to do, feel called to do, as a pastor slash in ministry, than anything I've experienced now in let's just say a decade as associate pastor, you know, playing the church game. And again, I, I'm, I, I probably have a little bit more to say about the local congregational gatherings than you do, but I don't, I don't hate the church. I, I, I love my experience. It was a part of—introduced me to so many things, but I can tell you right now, the, the system was broken from my perspective as well. Yeah. And so yeah. I, I didn't—I I left that path. I left that idea, and today I consider myself to be a full-time pastor,
1: Yeah. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't take any issue with you on any of that. Certainly not. You are a pastor, you minister to people, you are ministering to people then as an insurance agent as well. And, um, and you're, you're certainly ministering and making an impact in people's lives today. And, and to be clear, my thing is, I'm not trying to convince pastors to quit. It isn't that, but I will tell you this, honestly, Cliff, this even before COVID, even before this pandemic, deep down, there's a lot of pastors that if they thought they could go do something else, or if they thought there was a healthy transition open to them, they would take it. Um, And yet they feel stuck and trapped because it's the only thing they went to school for. I don't have any skills beyond, you know, this pastoral work. And then again, what would people think? What would God think? So it's to that profile of a pastor. I want to, I want to help you understand there is a way forward that you can st- Enter into a new season of ministry, still serving the same God, the same calling, and making a powerful impact in people's lives. And in many cases, you can probably get paid a lot better than you were under that old system. Um, But again, if you want to stay in that, I'm not trying to talk you out of it. For that pastor that's like, I love what I get to do. Because, by the way, Cliff, there was a lot of things I did in the 16 years of being a lead pastor that did fit me very well, that were in alignment with my gifts and my skill set, and I loved so much of it. Um, but to that pastor, I want you to be healthy. Uh, I just got off a call before I got on this interview with you, Cliff. I was on invited to be a, on a panel uh, with a group of pastors. We have pastors from all over the country, and we were talking about the subject of mental health. And it's a good conversation to be having because for far too long, we haven't probably as a whole, as a society, but certainly in the Christian community, we've not been talking about mental health. There's been such a stigma around it. And um, so I'm here talking with these pastors and and a big part of my message to them is the thing about pastoral ministry, as we've known it, is it has this ability to become this one dimensional, all consuming identity, because why not? We're doing it for the Lord, right? We're doing it for for God's kingdom. What could be bigger than that? And we give ourselves so fully to that, to the neglect of our marriage, our kids, our physical health, our mental health. And so, again, it gives me an opportunity to speak to pastors and go, I want you to be healthy. I want you, are you ready for this? Are you sitting down? I want you to have fun. I want you to remember what a hobby is and what it is to go out and enjoy life. I want you to have financial margin in your life to be able to take your family on a vacation. I want you to fuel your body with clean nutrition and actually take care of your physical health because you're under a lot of stress and you do see a lot of trauma in ministry. So we got to take care of the physical. So, I'll start preaching a sermon if I'm not careful, Cliff. But I'm passionate about this. I want pastors to be healthy. And if if that's healthy in the church, great. If it's healthy making an exit out of the church and into a new season of ministry, I'll walk beside you through that too. Awesome. So that's a little bit
0: about John's message to the world and what he's passionate about, how he serves people. If you're a pastor uh, or if you happen to know a pastor, maybe in your own life personally, in your own church, that could benefit from being served by somebody who could really help somebody out in that scenario, I encourage you to check out John's uh, stuff online. So John, tell them real quickly about your website and your podcast.
1: Yeah, so I I started a podcast eight years ago. And by the way, Cliff, this is too much of a rabbit trail. But once again, just in this venue, I want to thank you. Because had it not been for you, there probably would be no small town, big church podcast. But probably about 10, 11 years ago, I started listening to this guy called the Podcast Answer Man. And I felt I had a message I was passionate about sharing with the world. And I was an avid podcast listener had no idea how to launch one myself, and you gave me the inspiration and a lot of just practical encouragement to take that step, and uh, literally even down to the technical stuff when I paid for one of your courses. And so anyway, yeah, the Small Town Big Church podcast, I am in a small town in a rural church or in a rural context, and so the idea is, what if God actually wanted to do big things in small places? What if God wasn't disappointed with the relatively small number on the population sign that sits on the edge of your little town, right? And a lot of small church pastors and especially small town pastors battle with that inferiority complex of like, man, big things don't happen in the small place where I am. And they feel somehow like I need to graduate to a bigger place. Well, what if God wasn't disappointed with small towns? What if he actually wanted to do eternally significant, important things there? That's kind of the, the heart of the show, and just uh, a show that champions small-town rural church leaders. So yeah, smalltownbigchurch.com is the website and the name of the podcast. Awesome. Now I want to completely
0: get our focus off of what you do, and I want to get into the deeper of who you are. So it's a long story from Illinois to South Dakota. I want to hear it.
1: Yeah, well, I'll try and make it... So the cliff notes version, no pun intended. Um, So I grew up in Minnesota. I was born in Minnesota, moved down to Peoria when I was maybe eight or nine years old. So that's really where I grew up, even though I'm originally from Minnesota. But um, we connected with a guy, an elderly guy who would have called himself a missionary to the Santee Sioux Native American tribe that is here in the community that I now live in. He connected with my dad and, and our church way back then and, you know, kind of said that was his ministry. I'm a missionary to to this people group. So our church years ago started sending teams out to this little town where I'm talking to you from today, Cliff. And we would, you know, come out and support this guy and serve him. And um, and he would always say, you know, he was old then, man. When I was a young kid and first met him, he would always say, pray that God would send someone here to plant a church someday. And so I made the mistake of saying, Dear Lord, please send someone to Flanders to (laughs) plant a church. And one day I felt like God answered that prayer very clearly. I, I sensed him saying, I've got a guy, John, actually, I know someone that'd be great for that. How about you? And I was like, no, that's not what I meant. And this was now, you know, many, many years later, I'm, I'm working as a firefighter and I just, I had been struggling with that call toward, I knew I was being called into some form of pastoral ministry. And I tried really suppressing that running from that. And uh, finally the day that I just surrendered, and said, God, if you want me in ministry, I think you're making a huge mistake. Cause I can, I had a long list of reasons why I was not the right guy for that. And um, there was such a sense of peace though. Like I knew it was the direction I needed to be heading in. And so after that moment of surrender, then the question was, well, what's next? Where do you want me to go? And through that connection that our church had, like I saw that, that's it. Like we're going to go to Flandreau and we're going to come alongside this now really elderly couple and take what they started and and really take it to the next level and beyond. And so that was our connection to this little town in South Dakota. And uh, I'm still here. You know, that was We've been here a little over 17 years now, so God still hasn't told me to leave. Someday he will and uh and I'll go, but for right now this is what this is our home, this is where we're at. So when you showed up there, was this a ministry to
0: a Native American tribe is that what I heard?
1: Yeah, we've Flanders an interesting community. There's uh one of the nine reservations in South Dakota is actually here in our community. It's a smaller res- reservation. So you've got just the regular town, if you will, just the city of Flandreau. But then you've also got the um, tribal land, the Santee Sioux Native American tribe that's here as well. So that was kind of his specialty. I didn't feel called to just that. I mean, I just knew God was calling me to be a pastor and preach the gospel. And so that was just our connection here. So when I got here and took over as as pastor, we really launched a whole new church from the ground up and just built it more specifically for the community as a whole, not just one segment of the community. Gotcha.
0: Let me ask you this. When you went there, was there a part of that tribe that was still very much connected to, let's just say, Native American spiritual roots and practices?
1: Yeah. First of all, I don't claim to be an expert in that. But I would, from what I've learned living here for the last 17 years, there's probably two broad categories. I'm painting with a broad brush. You have those that are culturally part of the native American community, but then you have those that are very traditional, I think would be the word that very much have, have leaned into the spiritual side of, of all of that. Some, it's really no different probably than, than the broader culture as a whole. You have some people that are just not really followers of any God or any, you know, spiritual, that's just not a part of their life that they're in tune with, and then you got others that it's deeply meaningful. And in the Native American community, it's probably similar. You've got some that just maybe claim certain cultural aspects of what it means to be Native, and then uh, others that very much lean into all of the spiritism and and all that goes with that. Interesting. I've I've
0: really expanded my. Study of what other people believe in the past eighteen months of my life, and it's it's very interesting to just get a whole different view of other people's beliefs about the source of of creation, of God, of just all of that stuff, and I just find it fascinating, and and so that's the reason why, and and native. Native American spirituality is only on the periphery of what I've been studying so far, but uh, I, I believe it or not, I've actually studied more about the ancient Igkas than than I have the Native Americans. but it it those kinds of those kind of things fascinate me. And one of the things that I've learned is just how much understanding how people from all different places in the world, who have really not ever reached one another, you know, without ministry. I'm sorry, missionary influence. How we we sometimes have a lot of the same. We have a lot of same similar experiences of God, mm-hmm. but a lot of different language and and understanding, and of course, uh, doctrine about what we believe about all of that stuff. It's but it's been fascinating to me to go back and see some of the roots and see some of the common threads and and it's just opened my eyes to a whole lot more. I'm I guess what I'm saying is that I'm less judgmental immediately of other people's beliefs. And I'm like, man, what can I learn about God that these people have figured out that we haven't figured out yet?
1: Yeah. You know Yeah, that's and, a that's a fair question. One of the biggest probably one of the biggest things that I have noticed uh coming into this community is is that there's a lot of um, there's a lot of distrust to the Christian faith from the Native American community because of atrocities done throughout history in the name of Jesus in some cases and and sadly they were given a very uh flawed picture of who Jesus is because of people that did horrible things in his name and of course that has not only been limited to the Christian faith, or just to the Native American people, that's that's throughout world history, people have used their religious beliefs as as an excuse to to do evil to their fellow human beings. So there's there's a level of distrust, or I don't know if I'm trying to think of the right word for that, but just there's a distance there that you've got to be you got to tread that kind of carefully anyway before you even start talking about where we have commonality and where we might have differences theologically. There's just there's a, there's a chasm that has to be overcome. And I think the way that we do that is just through loving one another as human beings. And again, taking the judgment out of it, we're not here to say that you're wrong in what you believe or or judge your belief system, but just to, to share our thoughts, our beliefs and, and to love you where we can and see where we find the common ground. And, but that's the biggest challenge. You know, I came from an inner city, um, high school in, in Peoria, Illinois, where it was about maybe 50, 50, 40, 60 uh, whites and, and African American population. And so I saw a lot of the racism there on both sides. And moving out here to rural South Dakota, it's very similar. It's just whites and natives, but that those racial tensions are very real in this community as well, again, on both sides of the aisle. so. There's a lot of tension there, and there's times the communities come together in a really powerful way and do some really cool things together, and then there's other times where you very much see and sense that division that exists among us. All right, completely different direction. How did you meet your wife? Man, I met her when my family moved down to Peoria as when I was a little kid. So I literally met her when I was like going into the fourth grade, I think. Really, I had no idea that she w- that I would get married uh, to her years later. But so, yeah, we kind of, we met in church basically. I guess that's a good place to pick up chicks. Um, but fun fact about us, Cliff, we got married when I was 18 years old. I was a senior in high school. It was just after my no, or after my football season ended my senior year, I got married. She was older than me by about a year. She still is by the way. Um, but uh, I, she was two years ahead of me in school so we, we knew we were young, getting married young. My dad always told me when I was growing up, he always said, son, someday marry your best friend. And I thought, well, that's not cool. Jeff Harriman's my best friend. I don't want to marry Jeff. But uh, when I met my wife in high school, we started dating, started hanging out. I realized she is my best friend and, and I knew I was going to spend the rest of my life with her. And I was ready just to get that started. So we got married really young. Uh, A few years later, our first son was born. So I'm 42 now. And, uh, We're coming up on 25 years of marriage this November. Got our first grandkiddo on the way um, here any day, really, a couple weeks out from uh, him him being born. So it's been a crazy ride. Um, It's been awesome. I don't recommend all 18-year-olds get married for sure. But I will say, like, we were coming from a pretty solid foundation, both of us. We had fairly healthy marriages modeled for us and knew what we were getting into. So, yeah, we met in church, got married young, and... Got life started early, and now we're getting back to the honeymoon. Hopefully, here in a few short years. Well, Stephanie and I uh,
0: got married. She was it, we got married one week after her 18th birthday, and we just celebrated our 25th anniversary. So there that was, it was just last week. So,
1: how old were you when you guys got married?
0: I think I was 22, or okay. something like that. 23. How'd you guys meet? Oh, that's a long story. It's it's over in Family from the Heart episode number four forty one or something like that. It, uh, I can't remember the podcast episode, but it, basically, she was in high school, I was in college, and my best friend and I don't know that she would call this other girl her best friend, but her her friend, um, were trying to my best friend and her friend. We're trying to hook me and Stephanie up for her to be able to have a date to go to prom. So my best friend, he's been a childhood, best he he was a childhood best friend all the way up through college days, and I made fun of him every single day because my best friend in his 20s is dating a teenager who's still in high school. (laughs) I mean, I was relentless making fun of this guy. All right. That's funny. And so, you know, his girlfriend's junior prom was coming up and, you know, and they're hanging out. I mean, they're together all the time. And and so she was my friend as well. And so they're like, hey, we're going to have this after prom party and stuff like this. You know, do you want to come along? And I'm like, no, really, I don't. That doesn't sound like a lot of fun. Uh, and they said, "Well, you know, Mandy has a friend who needs a date to the prom, and so maybe you could go with her and stuff like that." And no, I, that that doesn't sound like a good idea. And so, long story short, uh, they tried for probably about four or five weeks to convince me to call this girl and ask her if you know she if if you know out on a date to go to this prom party thing together. And I I just wasn't having it. One day, I was on my way out the door to go shoot some pool with my friend, Kurt. And I get a phone call from a girl named Stephanie. And it happens to be Mandy's friend. And she says, hi, my name's Stephanie. You've probably heard Mandy talk about me. And I just wanted to call and see if you would be interested in going to the prom with me, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, what the heck? (laughs) No way am I going to say yes to that. And, and I didn't know what to say. And it's like, I mean, it, I, I didn't want to hurt her feelings. And like, and I was on my way out the door. I said, listen, can I get your phone number and call you back in, let's just say, a couple hours? I'm getting ready to go out, and I'm running late. I, I let, let me just think about this, and I'll, can I call you back in a couple of hours? And she said, sure. So I got her phone number. And I spent the next three hours, like if if you gave me a, a sheet of paper, I probably would have filled out about 17 pages of all the reasons why I'm going to tell her no when I get home. And next thing I do, I, I get home, I start talking to her. About two hours later, I'm like, okay, I'll go with you, but only if you and I have an opportunity to meet one another and go out by ourselves before this prom thing. And listen, this is, you know, this is nothing big to We talked every single day for hours upon hours. I was, before we ever went on our first date, I was like madly in love with this girl. And I'm like, how is this
1: possible? And so we've been together for 25 years. Well, that's awesome, man. It's amazing how the time flies by, but we're excited about the next season here with the grandkiddo on the way. Like, I think we're going to be cool grandparents, I hope so. Looking forward to that. How many kids do you have? Three. I've got uh, Justin's my oldest. He's 21. He's married to Ellie now. So we've got a, another daughter added to the family here in the last year. But my daughter is Jennifer. Uh, she's in college. She's in her second year of college. And then my youngest son, James, is going into his sophomore year now. So Yeah. My,
0: my oldest, Megan, she's in her senior year of college at Western Kentucky Matthew has been out of high school for, I think, it'll be almost two years, or maybe a year and a half. Anyway, he's been working at DHL, been very well, uh, he's done re- very well for himself there, but he's decided that at the end of this year, he's going to quit there, and he's going to start attending Western Kentucky University in January. And then our... What's, he, what's that? What's he studying? He's going to study to be a high school teacher, is what he's saying right now. He says, he says, everybody has that one high school teacher that really makes all the difference
1: in your life. And he says, he says, I want to be that for people. That's cool. That's cool. You know, with our oldest son, he didn't go to college um, when he graduated, still hasn't gone to college. You know, he, he was, he's always been a very creative kid, very much into music and video and just anything, uh, anything he does is he's. Talented at it and he's creative and stuff. So, he in high school, he really got it fascinated with, uh, you know, videography and stuff. And he's like, I'm going to have a video production business. And I even asked him, I said, Well, don't you think you, you know, if you go to college, maybe you can learn some stuff and help get a job somewhere. And he said, Dad, any of that stuff that they're teaching in college, I can learn on YouTube. And uh, <laughs> he's doing really well for himself. He has his own business and uh, is supporting his wife and soon to be baby boy. And um, with no college degree. I'm not against college. Like my daughter, she's, she's going, but she's from the time she was a baby. I mean, just a little girl, she's always had a passion for animals, not just a love, but a passion for animals. So she's going to a local, um, tech school, getting her vet tech certificate. And, you know, she, she has dreams someday of working with injured wild animals somewhere. And we're, I'm trying to help her figure out a business model around that, but, uh, cause vet techs don't, Generally get paid real well, but I'm I'm just that believer of put your kids in the direction they were meant to go. You know, I, her whole life it's been obvious she's got some passion for animals. She's going to do something in the world that serves, you know, the animal kingdom, and so she needs to be doing that. For now, it's so she's loving that. And my youngest, I don't know where he's going to end up, but again, it's we're gonna we're gonna guide him in the direction of the things that he's passionate about. And until you know. Don't go to college, man. That's just me. I know that's kind of anti, um, that's not part of our normal cultural norms, but it's like, until you can tell me why you need to go to college and how it's going to help you further your dreams, like don't go to college, do something else. That's just me.
0: Well, I, I'm right there with you on that. And I'm like, listen, and if you want to go to college, go to college on your own dime, pay for it yourself. Don't take out loans either. Just, Just go work a couple jobs. Uh, or work one job take some clients. but but yeah my wife and I see differently so we're paying full rides for our kids <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah i get that i know that's very normal for parents to feel that responsibility i'm not mad if you if you do but i just I have a different view on that it's like i want to help my kids we are helping our daughter with her schooling but only because she's helping herself and she's getting good grades and applying herself so i'm more than happy to support her in that but I don't owe any of my kids a college education. You know, you're not just getting it because you're an American or just because you're my kid. Like you need to have a purpose in going and dropping that kind of money on on that process yeah that you and i think a lot alike there I, I think i'm actually i'd be helping
0: my daughter and my son more if i wasn't paying for their way by the way i have a third daughter who's a junior in high school i just want to make sure that just for the record in case any of my kids ever listen to this episode it's like why didn't mckenna ever get a mention there but but you know I'm what? Gonna- so, for me, I, I will tell you, I'm, I'm the same way. I'm not a fan of college. I, I think college is great if you want to be a doctor, a lawyer, or anything else that requires a degree to be able to do what it is that you want to do. And there are so vastly many different other things you could do in this world that require no college degree whatsoever. I think that it could potentially delay uh, the acceptance of responsibility and nope. and and maturity and all of this other stuff. And and I think that you could forego the delayed responsibility and maturity by still going to college right out of high school and paying for it yourself. But, you know, eh, you know it is what it is. I'd, I'd almost rather take uh, what I'm paying for my kids to go to college and say, listen, let me just pay you for the next two to three years. I'll send you whatever I would pay you to go to college. Why don't you just pick a country anywhere in the world, move there, and I'll send you that amount of money with you. And yeah. as far as I'm concerned, and you know, th- there's so much more. Unless, uh, again, I if you want to, if you know what you want to do, and it requires a college degree, I am fully supportive of you going yeah. to college. Just pay for it yourself. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. But I, I, I but my wife, my wife thinks differently. So she's old school. It, it, here's here's what I will tell you. What I do want is give my wife her g- number one dreams in this world. And her number one dream was to that our kids would have a free ride to college through funded by us. And I'm like, that's a catch twenty-two. Are you I don't want this, but you want that, but I want what you want. And it's like, ah, you got there you me. Go.
1: Anyway, it's fun. That's a good way to frame it. I like that. I, I think it's interesting to see what COVID's going to do to college. I think COVID is going to help put some more nails in the coffin of the traditional model we've called college and the way we've thought of it, you know, I mean, the internet has done a lot to change that already, but we just proved in my opinion that kids can stay at home and don't necessarily need to all congregate on a campus somewhere because the campus doesn't really hold all this information that's not already available out there for a lot less money than what these colleges are charging so well again i'm not anti-college i'm just i just think it's way overrated in our society i think i think that message is starting to change starting to realize not every kid needs to be prepared for four years of college but yeah i i understand
0: so football huh you were in foot you played football in, in high school yes sir How 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 many years did you play in football?
1: Well, four in in high school and then I played a few in uh, junior football before that, you know, as a little kid. So I loved it, man. I was passionate about football. Still love it.
0: So you so are you one of those guys that watch like NFL and college football and all in local high school games and stuff like that?
1: Yeah, not I like watching college. I don't really have a team, probably because I didn't go to college. Well, I went to a junior college to learn how to put out fires. I mean, what can they teach you in college about putting out fire? But anyway, took me five years to get a two-year associate's degree in fire science. But um, so I didn't go to college. But I, I like watching NFL football. The last few years have gotten been a little bit of a turnoff to me, just with all the politics they've brought into the into the league and stuff. Last year was zero fun watching, you know, empty stadiums and with fake fan noise, like that just was a huge turnoff. So, um, but the game itself, I absolutely love the game of football. There's so many life lessons you can apply from teamwork to just personal applications you can take from the game of football. So for me, I love it, but it is just a game. I will tell you about a really weird reoccurring dream. You want to hear this, Cliff? Maybe you can help me unpack this. Hit, hit, me, up. hit me up. This will be up your alley. So for years, I've had this reoccurring dream. And it's, and here's the big theme. The details may differ a little, but I always get one more opportunity to go back on the field and play another game under the lights on Friday nights. And, and it's like so bittersweet, like so cool. Like, man, I get to go out there and do it, do it again. And then something always happens in the dream where I can't find my, all my gear. Like where's my shoulder pads, where'd the helmet go? Like there's always some missing piece of equipment that keeps me from getting back on the field. So I don't know what that means, but uh, you can psychoanalyze that dream if you want, but I'll I'll leave it sit there.
0: I will tell you the fun (laughs) thing is, is that I have a ton of reoccurring dreams as well. And one specific theme that happens for me a lot. And sometimes I, I would label them as nightmares. Other times they're just dreams. Uh, but the reincurring theme is that I, I, in my dream, I'm still working in my mom and dad's family insurance agency. Like, I, it's like, I, and I'm stuck doing the mundane tasks of this and that and, and the original stress of, you know, the un- understaffed agency office over demand on my time to be able to pull all the strings of making sure everybody gets what they need in the time that they need it and all this other stuff. And I'm like, and it's so real. And then I wake up and I'm like, oh, my gosh.
1: Whew. And so, okay i'll psychoanalyze this cliff is running from something i'm trying to get to something I, i'm trying to get on the field and i'm my plans are blocked and frustrated you're trying to get out of that office and you're you're stuck so i, I don't know what that means but yeah i sometimes I,
0: sometimes i wonder if my if my dreams are me um kind of have you remember the old Ghostbusters movies they talk about crossing the streams don't cross the streams and I think sometimes I I, my brain uh, crosses the streams into an alternate reality and I basically drop into one of those alternate universes where I didn't leave the insurance office
1: that's interesting
0: yeah and and I think that that my brain gets tuned into a different frequency where this universe is on a slightly different frequency than the one that we live in and and I get and I drop into that and I experience it as though I'm there and then when i when it's time for me to wake up, my brain switches back to this frequency and it's like, oh wow, okay good i'm I, I, okay, I'm not still in insurance I do still have my online business.
1: So is the, is the you that's in that alternate reality? Does that you dream and enter into other realities? You know what? I I bet it does, but I don't know because I, I haven't gotten that far into it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know either. I've often scratched my head with some of those dreams. Some are just silly, but it's like, there's that one really weird reoccurring dream. And the theme is always the same. I'm trying to get back on the football field to play one more game. So I don't know. I it, left something it, behind.
0: Who knows? Who it knows? It's fun stuff. Dreams are fun. I, I think, have you ever heard of, well, first of all, I guess what you're talking about here is a vivid dream. If, if it's a dream, when you wake up from it, it it's just like, man, that seems real and, and it sticks with you. Uh, have you heard of lucid dreaming? Have you ever had a lucid dream before?
1: Yeah, I've heard the term, but refresh my memory. What does that mean?
0: So a lucid dream is where you actually become consciously aware in the dream state that you are actually dreaming. Yeah, And I have had those a couple, just like three of them in my lifetime. Uh, But um, yeah, I've actually woken from a dream and then I realized, hmm, it's only two o'clock in the morning. I don't think I'm going to get up right now. And then I kind of just sit there and then it's like almost instantly I'm back. Right. It's like, it's like I hit the pause button to go see who was at the door And and then I come back and I and it just hits continue. And I'm like, boom, I'm right back into the dream, except for I am in I am myself in the dream, but I'm one I'm consciously removed and able to observe myself actually in the dream state.
1: Yes. And you can kind of drive it. You can kind of narrate it, dictate it and operate it. You know, this talk of dreams, as as you were sharing that, Cliff, I jumped into Evernote here and and found this quote. You've probably, have you heard this quote from T.E. Lawrence uh, about dreamers of the day? Have you ever heard that one? No, tell me about it. It's interesting. He says, all men dream, but not equally. Those who dream by night in the dusty recesses of their minds wake in the day to find that it was vanity. But the dreamers of the day are dangerous men. For they may act on their dreams with open eyes to make them possible. So I'm fascinated with dreams too, but it's more so like the the dreams of the future where we're going. You know what I mean? Like that other stuff's interesting to me too, and I wake up with a weird, wild dream. But um, but it's more the dreams of where are we going with our life? Like I I'm my relationship to time is very much future oriented instead of past, and maybe to to my own detriment even not so much the present you know like my mind's usually out there and I probably should learn to bring it back a little more to the present from time to time and just enjoy what is but anyway I'm a dreamer of the day man dreaming with eyes wide open yeah that's for for me one of the things that I have I I
0: was consistently my head was always into the future you know it's like oh man I'm going to go after this I'm going to go after this I'm going to go after this and every time I I achieved what it is I was going after, it was super exciting, man. Yeah. And then it was boring as hell. Yeah. You know, it's like, oh, now what? Well, I, I guess I need something else. And what I realized for me, for what what I've come to believe is that if I can't be happy here, there's nothing that I will be able to accomplish at any point in my life that will make me happy. And so what I did is I I stopped actually trying to chase things to make me happy or to make me feel love and peace and and all that other stuff and fulfilled and secure because that's what all my, that's all my my future goals was, man, I'll be happier if I have this. I'll be more secure. I'll be, I'll have, I'll have all of these things as if I lack them now.
1: Yeah, that's good.
0: And what I came to realize is like, wait a second. My uh, chasing after any dream, chasing after anything in the future for me is meaningless unless I can realize that I don't lack any of those things that I truly want right now. And and what I realize, what do I truly want? Well, I do. I want a level of certainty and security and and confidence that that things are going to work out. That that there's some security. I w- I want uh, connection. I want love. I want a level of significance I want I want fulfillment in life I want all of these things and it's like wait a second what if what if I actually have access to all of those things right here right now every moment that I'm alive and yeah. then I realize I do have all of those things in an abundance yeah that's good and whenever I think about it's like man I it's, it's like man I've lost so much and then I think compared to what and oh. and it's and I and I think, gosh, how how much time have I wasted chasing after something that would give me a, a more fulfillment and more enjoyment and more gratitude for the things that I have? And it's like, man, you know what I, John? I woke up this morning and guess what I was able to do? I was able to wiggle my toes. And I was able to wiggle my fingers just by merely thinking about moving my legs. I was able to move my legs and stand up in my body. Not Mm -hmm. only that, but (sighs) I just breathed oxygen, clean, fresh air. I have a roof over my head. You know, during the night my house didn't burn down. I mean, do you I'm surrounded by miracles every single minute of the day and it's like, "Oh my gosh, I already have so many more things." I I if I just devoted the rest of my life to just writing a gratitude journal for all the things that I have to be grateful for, if I never attain another thing for the rest of my life, if I lived between now which I'm 49 I 48 49 I have no idea how old I am I'm close to 50. but if I live till I'm a hundred and I never attain another thing if I devoted 24 hours a day seven days a week over the next 50 years, I'd never be able to complete the list of the things that I have to be grateful for right now
1: yeah yeah that's so good. How do you reconcile that, Cliff, with the like the message of the free the dream? Not saying that there's a uh, con- uh, contradiction because it's not, but how would you answer that if it's like, okay, so if we're going to focus less on the future and the dream that it provides all that stuff out there because it's already here, so what, what is it about the dream that we're freeing then when you talk about free the dream?
0: So freeing the dream is not necessarily a dream of the future. Okay. Freeing the dream is freeing the dream of living in alignment with who you feel called to be in this world. And so the the whole idea is are you living in alignment with your values, with your what you feel like you should be doing with your time, effort, and energy? Or are you living your life according to someone else's values? Yeah, that's good. Are you living your are you living someone else's dream of what they think you ought to do? Yeah. And so freeing the dream is about living right now, not 10 years from now, living today in alignment with who you truly are. Yeah. And so freeing the dream is actually number 1 discovering the dream, getting clarity about who am I? Why am I here? What do I I want most out of this life. What do I feel my purpose is? And again, not seeking the answers to any of those questions from anyone else. And that's the, the so basically freeing the dream is freeing the identity, if you will.
1: Yeah. That's and good. So,
0: so it's it's discovering your identity. There's a dream inside of you. There's an identity inside of you. And it's been hidden. It's been you, you basically you're a diamond a pristine diamond, and your personality that you have today is, it's basically just imagine somebody has been painting over that diamond with layers and layers and layers of fingernail polish. And, and it's it, so, freeing the dream is basically cleaning off the nail polish of everybody else's beliefs and thoughts and values and everything that they think you ought to do in this world, trying to live up to their expectations, trying to please other people. All of this, it, freeing the dream is getting rid of all of that and just being perfectly fine with who you were created to be.
1: Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Good stuff, man. Well, I'm inspired. And by
0: the way, I just want you to, for you and for anyone else, I'm still not opposed to having goals and dreams of the future. But the difference now is that I I live in the today. I live Mm -hmm. in the now. Yeah. But I have dreams of what I want to do, not because when I get them, I will have more than what I have now. Because I have, I, I have I, I've come to the firm belief I lack nothing now. Oh. So I have an abundance beyond my wildest imagination of everything I could ever truly want in life. And so what I want to do moving forward is to grow personally in my understanding of what I have and how to use it and be not necessarily, I never have a lack of resources. I want. I just want to get rid of my lack of resourcefulness. So I want to grow that way, and I also want to contribute, but not contribute so that I can get money so that I can be financially secure. I want to contribute out of the abundance of all that I have.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and there really is a difference between those two mindsets. One will perpetually keep you on the treadmill, never satisfied as you attain those new levels and new heights. You're still going to feel that emptiness or that lack, that perceived lack that's there so exactly it's a good distinction yeah so fun stuff man hey we've
0: got three minutes before i'm gonna let you go because i know you have a mastermind call Uh, i would love for just a moment real quickly you said you were a part of my course many years ago learned how to podcast you invited me as a guest to be a guest on your podcast we had a conversation Not long after that, you decided to join the Next Level Mastermind. Just real briefly, real quick, almost as if it was a little paid commercial for my Next Level Mastermind. Tell tell us a little bit what life
1: has been like over the last two years. Well, just like you helped me launch a podcast out into the world, you helped me launch a coaching business out into the world. And so very shortly after joining your Next Level Mastermind, I launched my own. You helped me see, Cliff, a very important distinction that I had been coaching people for years. I just wasn't getting paid very well for it. I was getting paid like a pastor. And you you just, in a very simple, powerful conversation, opened my eyes to the reality that I could do this. You know, like I could actually show up in a different way, do the same calling, serve people in the same way and just package it differently and get paid in a much better way and much more life-giving way. It was a message I needed at that time. So yeah, joining your Next Level Mastermind, being surrounded by the the positive voices of other people on similar journeys people thinking at a higher level and by higher i don't mean superior i just mean thinking at a at a more successful level having a group of people you can actually go celebrate wins in life with and not feel embarrassed about that or feel that you need to downplay it so that you're not outshining someone else you know like to have that environment it's life changing uh, not just for the career goals or the income goals but just personal growth and development, you know, I can see where I've had much of that as a result of being in the next level mastermind and surrounded by the relationships that the, that I'll carry with me for the rest of my life as a result of that. So it, when I say life-changing, that's not just cliche, man. I really mean that. My life's different today because of the impact you've had on my life. And as a result, the impact I'm having on others. So I'm grateful for you, man. That's
0: awesome. And you were able to, uh, after how many, 28 years of full-time ministry?
1: Well, 17 in in church planting. I mean, I grew up as a pastor's kid. So I was, I'd say 20 as Pastor John, 20 years with where I was in Illinois and then moving out here. So. And today
0: you basically, the church that you planted, you ended up ultimately transitioning away from that as the pastor of the church. Correct. I stepped out of that role. Handed that off to someone else. Now, today, you still work in the fire department, uh, yep. but that's because you still love that work. But you you have a profitable career as a coach today. And I one of my favorite things, John, was seeing you go and take what was it a three week vacation shortly after you left the uh, your position at the church. And I, I remember you reaching out and say, man, this is the first time I've actually been on a vacation for this many weeks in a row and didn't actually have to leave my family behind to finish out the vacation or something to that effect. I can't. Yeah,
1: yeah that's legit. I mean, never before. I mean, it's just not a normal thing. Some pastors, the rare exceptions find the ability to do that. Most don't. So that just wasn't part of our reality, the ability to just have the income and the schedule freedom and schedule to cut loose and be gone for three weeks to Florida. So good stuff. That's just the beginning, man. Like a lot of good things have happened and will continue to happen. So I love the journey. Life is good. Well, it, it's it been an honor to, to
0: connect with you at such a deep level. I can't wait to celebrate. I know that you've got big dreams for some big retreats and some other big events that you want to do. And man, it's, it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun to just see you realize those dreams and, uh, I, I can't wait to also see pictures. Did you take some good before pictures of your kitchen?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, we've got all that stuff. So, right.
0: so there's a big, huge kitchen remodel. I'll tell you what, why don't you end on that just real quickly? Because you, your wife's had a dream to have that kitchen. So, just yeah, end this with that story.
1: I don't mind sharing that briefly. It's, you know, for a long time, the house we live in has been in need of a uh, remodel, just very outdated stuff. And for a lot of years, that was like a daily visual reminder of limitation in my life. Like we just, we just can't afford that. We just don't have the ability to do that. And so I know some people may be tempted to think big deal. It's just a kitchen remodel. But for me, it was a much deeper spiritual thing, like to, to see, to break through that perceived limitation and put some things in place to say, no, we're going after this. We're going to do this. And so, yeah, this summer we finally got going on that and we wanted to wait till construction costs were about quadrupled what they were a few years ago but so we we scored well there but we're doing it man like it's coming along beautifully the project's probably a few weeks away from being totally done so we're we're excited about it and again it just is that visual daily reminder of we're in a new place now we're we're operating out of a much greater sense of abundance than this lack mentality that I hate to admit, was there a few years ago.
0: Yeah, well, I'm, I'm glad it was there for a few years ago. And the reason why is because other people will be able to resonate with the story. Gross. Man, it's like, man, if John goes from this to this, that's pretty awesome. Maybe there's hope for me. And uh, I just hope you and I will never lose sight of of what it felt like to be in that place and the tr- and the way we felt trapped by it and, yep. and, and h- share our message of hope of how we overcame that. So, John, I appreciate you, brother. Thank you so much for being on the Community
1: Voice. Likewise. It's been fun, Cliff. Thanks for all you do.
0: Well, there you go. That was my conversation with John Sanders. Again, check out his website and podcast. It is smalltownbigchurch.com. If you're enjoying these conversations, I want to encourage you to check out some of the other podcasts that I produce. As I'm recording this episode on Wednesday, August 25th, 2021, I currently have nine different podcasts that are actively in production. Not every show gets an episode every single week, but if you want to see a list of the podcasts that I have, head over to cliffravenscraft.com and click on the podcasts tab up in the navigation menu. You'll see a list of featured shows there. My main show being The Cliff Ravenscraft Show, I have launched the all new version of the podcast, Answer Man. If you've ever wanted to learn how to become a profitable coach, I have a podcast called Cliff's Notes on Profitable Coaching. And well, there's a list of many other shows as well. Go check it out, cliffravenscraft.com slash podcast. And of course, if you would like to take your own message, your own business, your own life to the next level, either work with me one-on-one in a coaching capacity, or if you already have your own business and you've experienced a little bit of success, maybe you've also experienced a little bit of some of the downfalls when it comes to owning a business. If you'd like to do life with other business owners, check out my Next Level Mastermind. All of that can be found over on my Work With Me page at cliffravenscraft.com. Until next time, I encourage you to take everything you do to the next level.